Okay, so um, this is the Wednesday, 18th of March call. Anyone who's picking this up on the recording, um, we're going to kick off with a quick discussion around the updates to the Open Payments website. Um, if anyone's visited openpayments.dev in the last week um, or saw the link posted up on uh, Slack, you would have seen nice new look and feel. Thanks to Kieran, who's uh, on the call here with me. Um, put the, the new logo together and the, the new website. Um, Matt's been doing some work on updating the copy as well. Um, so I don't know, Matt, if there's anything specific you want to point out there or draw people's attention to or um, mention in terms of what still needs to be done. Before we get into that, can I just say that the new website looks absolutely amazing. So Karen, you're a freaking legend. I agree. Karen's sitting next to me, although we're keeping our distance because we're, you know, being sensible. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. Definitely an improvement on my uh, awesome design that I had. Oh, sorry, Adrian. I don't want to offend you. <laughs> no, my, mine, mine was a bit of a throw together. I, 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 I want to at least pretend I could do a better job if I tried a bit harder next time, but I probably couldn't. Anyway, Matt, Matt, go for it. I just want to say, uh, when Kieran and I were doing the readers or starting on this, uh, Adrian's like, yeah, you can repurpose what we got. And Kieran and I just both looked at each other and said, that is not happening in any way, shape or form. <laughs> um, no, so the only thing I really want to bring people's attentions to under the docs that I think are quite like nice from a rationale point of view is if you go to the actual uh, spec part, there's the wallet to wallet interoperability and wallet to application interoperability and specification and the overview page. Um, I think if you read those, that can give you more of a sort of idea of what we're trying to achieve. So those three, three sort of URLs, the overview and then the wallet to wallet interoperability and wallet to application interoperability basically explains the high level problem of, of what we're trying to solve. Um, so if you read that, you, you should get a good idea of what we're trying to do. Um, in the meantime, that I can bring the attention to that we've done in the last, since the last call is we've started trying to bring open payments and web monetization in line with each other. Uh, web monetization currently uses SPSP. Um, that's been added to the docs. So you can have a look over that and actually open uh, PR and stuff for that. Uh, another announcement from the changes, we moved everything over to the Interledger organization for this. Uh, it's no longer on uh, Adrian's personal repo. So that's quite nice that now it lives in the inter Interledger org. So if you see anything, um, I did see there was one community member that actually did, did, did do a PR. So thanks for that if you're on the call. Uh, I am getting around to that. It was some copy stuff. Um, but yeah, so the web monetization bringing in line to try and sort of, I don't want to say, in my mind, it's deprecating SPSP. I think um, Ben might have other ideas there, but it's, it's just basically to make it that it's easier to, um, for wallets to implement a singular spec rather than two specs. Yeah, one, one, I would say it's, it is deprecating SPSP, but really in name more than anything. It's, it's like a, it's superseding it. Um, so it's still backwards compatible, um, but there's things about SPSP that we may, um, we may agree over time we don't want, but if you're using SPSP today, technically, I think you're compatible with a very small part of the broader open payment spec is one way to think of it. 
Um, but there's a lot more interesting stuff that OpenFlames adds for other use cases. Um, and I'm hoping we'll, we'll be able to demo some of those over the next you know, weeks and months. We we're in the process of um, putting together quite a cool tipping um, use case that'll uh, use things like mandates and, and so on. Cool. Um, anyone have any comments on that? Any uh, other than more kudos for Kieran? Um, uh, any thoughts on open payments? Has anything changed content-wise on the website, or is it just the amazing you look? Um, so Matt did some big content updates probably about two, three weeks ago. And I think he's done some polish on that. Matt, Matt I don't know, Lee, you, you can speak to that. Um, yeah, so Sabina, since, since our conversation um, in Cape Town with you and Stefan, when we had that sort of all hands thing, I, I took a lot of the thoughts of what we discussed and sort of codified them into this high level doc. So the docs have changed if you read it before then, if you, yeah, you, you were party to those talks. So basically it's just putting into words what we discussed there. Okay, but then I, I will give them another read because I don't remember the last time I read them, whether it was before or after our chat and I'll make some suggestions if anything should be improved in my opinion, if that's okay. Pull requests, always welcome. Like the nicest way to do it is if, especially if you have specific proposals or suggestions, feel free to submit them as a, a PR. Will do. Okay, uh, any other topics anyone wanted to cover today? Um, Kincaid or, or the guys working on other, you know, other unrelated projects, non-open payment stuff. Um, I'm just looking through the list here, who's on the call. So the only other thing that I would bring to light for everybody that if they don't know about it yet, but Brandon has got open PRs for the receipts stuff. Um, there's a few PRs, but they're basically like both on web monetization, SPSP, and then actual underlying ILP protocol stream. Um, so I would, I think some of those might be still draft phase, but I think getting eyes on that from other people would be good. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. I don't know, Brandon. Do you do you want to talk through kind of high level what you've proposed in those now, or um, is it too too early to do that? I could go over them. Cool. Well, I mean, we've certainly got the time. Like, there's nothing else on the agenda today. So, uh, if you're happy to do that, now's a good time to do that. Sure. Um, so Ben, a few weeks ago, opened the pull request and not, or sorry, the issue in the RFC's repo about adding stream receipts. Uh, the motivation for it is so that uh, there's a way to do payment verification, uh, mainly for micro payments, uh, open payments and invoices make that easy for larger discrete payments. But um, to avoid having wallets having to uh, like store individual resources for individual micropayments and figuring out how long to persist those, uh, 
this alternative is for just within the stream protocol for every uh, fulfilled ILP packet, the receiving side will um, send a kind of a, a signed receipt saying how much has been uh, received on this stream. Um, and in order to do that, we introduce a, a new entity to the equation, a receipt verifier party, um, which would be either the, the actual recipient of a payment or some third party that offers this as a service um, that the sender can take this receipt and give to the verifier directly or indirectly. And the verifier can then either tell the recipient or they are the recipient, like, yes, I have received this much money. Um, and I guess one key way that that works is um, the SPSP query to set up a stream connection uh, is proxied through the receipt verifier, which lets the receipt verifier share a secret with the stream receiver uh, in order to sign the receipts. Uh, and so then once the receipt verifier gets a receipt to ch check, uh, it, if it if it's uh, valid, it can be confident that um, it's a legitimate receipt. Only the receiver should have known and had that secret. Um, I think those are the main points. If anyone has any questions. Um, I see Pear has um, got his hand up using the, the Zoom um, so hand up thing feature. So Pear, do you want to? Um, yeah, how, how secure is that? In a in a in a ternary, uh, uh, fashion, it does require a level of trust between the receiver and the receipt verifier. Um, I mean, for for one thing, if uh, so, it, for the SPSP query, the recipient or the sender has to be given a payment pointer, like pay here. And for this to work, you have to give them the receipt verifier's payment pointer. And so just, just for that, you have to trust that the receipt verifier isn't just going to actually channel those funds to the verifier themselves. Um, and so if you accept that level of trust between the recipient and the verifier, um, then you how, how, how do we authenticate uh, the verifiers what what's the systemic uh, verification of that in terms of like choosing a verifier to use no but so if if i do a transaction and and i have no knowledge of who the verifier is how what would the trust level be on on that level how, how do we actually in the system Systemic verification is is very important in, in in this. That that breeds trust, right? So we we build a lot of of, of verif verification points that have been trusted in, in in historically, and and therefore we can kind of predict that in in the future they will be verifying whatever it is that we want. But how do how do we how do we control that? That that's a big big point 
uh, in, in my book. I guess, are you mainly wondering as the sender, uh, like how, how confident are you that when you're given a payment pointer, it might actually be for a verifier? And can you trust that you're gonna end up sending money to the party that you thought you were? No, in, in, in the system, how do we how do we verify the verification points? How do we trust that we trust the, the trust points? What, what do you um what what's a trust point? Or like which points do you see as the trust points? Well I I need to I need to trust somebody if I'm I'm sending you a million dollars, right? And there's a verification point on a, on a payment system. As it's probably yeah. over the top. So I gotcha, I want to gotcha. make sure that that you are a trusted agent, right? Gotcha. You're, yeah, you're, so not, you're not just gonna uh, swing my my crypto and 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 sail into uh, the the Thai. Uh, yeah, I got it. Yeah. Um, so the way that that would work is like um, you always have a chain of trust that starts with the application layer protocol. And so the reason that makes sense is because depending on the use case, like you gave the example of sending a million dollars to crypto, obviously you would use much, much greater verification than if you were, for example, paying like a tenth of a cent for a web monetization video online or something like that. Um, and so... Um, there's a chain of trust that starts with the application layer protocol. So in the case of web monetization, it would be HTTPS. So you're going to a website and they put a payment pointer into a meta tag. And the way we know that someone hasn't replaced that is because we trust in TLS. Um, but if you wanted to do something like, you know, a bank to bank payment or something, you'd probably want to add more levels of authentication and more trusted um, authentication than um, what is available with TLS. So you would probably you know, use certificate pinning or um, some central authority that tells you which key is correct or something like that um, to up the security. But then once you have that sort of initial root of trust, then you can say, okay, well, we know that um, we have the right shared secret for um, stream. And so now we can base our the security of the, um, of the other layers off of that. Um, so that's where the trust originally comes from. Um, with regards to receipts, um, right now the main use cases that we're contemplating are around, um, you know, applications. So you basically have a scenario where you have a receiver and they've made some sort of application, so a website or an app or whatever, um, and that application wants to receive money, but it, it's not a wallet; it's it's an application. And so what ends up happening is that the creator tells you their wallet and you pay into their wallet, but now the application has no way to verify that you've paid into that wallet. And so that's where this scheme is supposed to be used. Um, I think there are definitely, uh, there's a potential that we're, that there are use cases we're not thinking of um, that require different levels of security or different ways of setting it up. Um, and so if you have ideas for what those use cases might be, it'd be super useful for you to participate in that discussion on the on the issues and the pull request. I, I think the, um, what I've been working on the last six years is multimodal uh, biometrics. So we kind of have a, we have a finality in, in the instant that we actually make the transaction. 
at, at least me from 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 the transactee. Uh, so I'm 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 initiating the transaction. So I am absolutely identifying myself. The the problem we're running into here in Europe now is is GDPR and PSD2 and stuff like that, where everybody is running uh, a fault of, of the current law. And we need to be very mindful of that because that, that could cost some people, as, excuse my French, shitload of money if, if you get caught in that, in that kind of uh, rigmarole. Um, so what 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 I'm saying is, why are we reinventing the wheel when we have good practices that that actually comply with with current laws, wherever you are? Why why are we adding layers on layers on on layers? I I just I I'm I'm beginning to get lost in this. Uh, I don't, I don't view anything of this as like reinventing anything. Like we are like basically following best practices. You know, like for instance, like the fact that web monetization is using TLS. It's like that is the security protocol on the web and we're using it for that. Yeah, but that's not necessarily GDPR proof, is it? GDPR. Um, in what sense it's not GDPR proof? Well, you're 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 basically leaking personal in uh, per, personalized uh, personal information from the the person initiating. I don't know what what protocols you're actually uh, uh, recording this on, but there's some kind of leakage. I don't think so. And so the only information that you're sharing is your Intelligent address, which is similar to your ILP address. And the way that GDPR looks at that is that that is not personal information because, um, you know, it's, it's, you know, essentially you can't read anything from it, but, um, no, but I can, know, I can triangulate, triangulate it. Sure. But then that means like we can't use the internet. <laughs> I mean, well, we, we can use it as long as you can anonymize it. Well, the way the internet works is like the only way that a packet is going to get back to you is this, if the other side knows your IP address, so you can't anonymize it. I, I, I feel a little bit like we may have um, veered off the track a little bit. Uh, just a kind of a reminder of the use case here is we have an existing way to exchange interledger packets, a protocol called stream, whereby you know, packets are sent, um, secured with a pre-shared secret. And this proposal is adding the ability for a third party that's not in the payments flow to also participate in the sharing of a secret with the receiver and in so doing, be able to verify that payments were delivered to that receiver because the receiver provides a, an HMAC for each packet that the third party is able to validate. So it's, it's, 
at this point, we're like, we're in a kind of a transport layer protocol as opposed to even application. There's, there's not, I, I'm, I'm failing to understand what personal information is being leaked at all here. No, but if, if, if you leave, if you leave packets, if you're sending packets on the internet, you're, you're traceable. I mean, that, that's been proven over and over again. So eventually it's like everybody, when, when I started in, in, in Bitcoin about 10 years ago, everybody said, oh, it's anonymous. Baloney, it's not anonymous because if it, it, no matter how, mu how much you churn and stuff like that, I, I'll be able to find out if it's, if it's, uh, if it's public information, which Bitcoin is, for instance, uh, I'll be able to find out over time what, whatever happened, what transactions were, were made, who, who made what. And in, 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 the, in what, what we're doing with the interchanging of, of, of all kinds of cryptos, we, we need to be aware of not leaking the personal information, the private information of, of, of the users. Yeah, I don't, if you, I don't we're, think we're, you haven't really uh, put a lot of attention into that as I have seen. I, I haven't been on the call for quite a long time, but I've been following the, uh, the recordings and stuff. I would, I mean, I would disagree with that. I would say we spend a lot of time talking about privacy. Um, I think a lot of the time we're talking about it more when we're talking about the context of web monetization because. In web monetization, you're interacting with a large number of websites. And so um, the importance of privacy goes up the more parties you interact with because you're sharing information with more parties. Um, and so, you know, one thing we do, we're actually about to roll out a feature at Coil, which is um, when you pay Coil to get a Coil account, um, we essentially issue a series of tokens um, that are blind signed tokens. So they're not, um, they can't be connected to when you're purchasing them to when they're being used. And then we have a separate endpoint, which is when you're actually connecting to Interledger, um, that's when you're using those tokens. And so if somebody was trying to um, track you by your Interledger address, um, well, first of all, they already couldn't, even without this feature, because we give you a new random address on every single page view. So every time you go to a different website, you get a totally new Interledger address that's totally randomized and doesn't contain any readable information. And then on top of that, we don't even know who you are because you, to get that address, you're using a randomized, um, a blind sign token. And so I feel like we're spending a ton of time on privacy. It's, it's to a point where even if we were colluding with the website and the wallet that you're visiting, we still wouldn't be able to tell you but we still want to be able to know which user you are, um, even from like, you know, 10 minutes to the next 10 minutes. Um, so yeah, we definitely think about it a lot. If you have suggestions to make it better, uh, we're absolutely interested. Like any, anywhere in the protocol stack where we can add more privacy, we are absolutely interested. Yeah, leave, leave that with me. I'm working on a project in, in Denmark right now with coronavirus, so I'm, I'm a little bit lost some time basically tracking and suggesting who is going to be treated and stuff. So um, I'm, I'm going to be underwhelmed uh, probably for the next two weeks.
but I'll, I'll come back. I'll, I'll come back to this issue. Cool. Totally. Yeah. I mean, again, any contributions always appreciated. I, I and I also appreciate you raising the issue. Don't get me wrong. I just I take offense when people say like we haven't thought about something when we've spent you know hundreds of hours thinking about it. Yeah. It does seem like uh, the receipt verifier would have the possibility of like recording IP addresses of people doing SPSP queries to it and then storing those alongside with like the receipt amounts per payment pointer. Uh, yeah, in my mind that that is what the receipt verifier, that's the information they would be able to collect in their role. Um, a, a, if we, for people who really are uncomfortable with that, um, there's the possibility of running the receipt verifier as kind of a smart contract unmanaged uh, way so that like no one really has that information except whatever hosting provider it might be running on. I think this is related back to the same point, which is right now in our design, we're very much assuming that the receipt verifier is the same person that's sort of providing you with an application or some service or something like that. And so like, for example, if you're on my website and I give you my payment pointer, then me knowing the payment pointer is not new information. And so um, same thing as like the fact that I can potentially replace the destination. It's like, well, if I'm the destination also, then that is not really something I would ever do or something I could already do on the application level. And so, I think the right question to ask though, if I'm understanding it correctly, would be um, whether that assumption that the receipt verifier is basically always the person that's being paid is actually accurate. I'm guessing it won't be the case 100% of the time, like if it's Cinnamon or uh, someone like that who would be kind of needing to check that creators on their site are getting picked. Can, can, you, can you dive a little bit more into your what you're thinking there on the receipt verifier not being the same? Um, I can do it. Uh, there's there's a, a web monetized uh, video hosting website called Cinnamon where people like individual creators can upload their videos uh, they get those creators get paid via web monetization and interledger as people watch those videos um, so cinnamon the site has to be able to check that payments are being received at those individual creators um, and so it, that would be a case where uh, it, it's not the actual payment recipient that's most interested in needing to know that the payment was received um, in, in order to keep showing a video. No, no, I understand that. That's micropayment. So now we're we're down in in the in the in the low bell, so to speak, of micropayments. If if we're going to be unifying this to do, to be able to do micropayments and macropayments then we need to have some different uh, this is this is my point we need to have some different distinctions of 
what a payment is and, and the security behind the verifier. I would, I would not feel comfortable with a, a micropayment verifier, as I, as I said uh, last time. So if I send you a, hundred, a, a million dollars, that, that verifier would not be trusted by me, by instinct. That was my point. I, I mean, I th like I definitely agree with you that like the that's a huge challenge is to design a system that can deal with very very small payments, very very large payments. And I I think there's like if you wanted to design the entire stack in one go, it would not be possible to design it for that wide of a spectrum of use case. And that's exactly what we ran into on the interledger layer when we were looking at packet sizes and saying like, you know, how can the same network route a ten million dollar packet? and a you know, one cent packet because you have totally different liquidity providers and so on. And in that case, by the way, we solved it by splitting the packets into lots of small packets. But on the application layer, we're back to the same problem. We're saying, you know, yeah, you might make a $10 million payment or you might make a one cent payment. And I think the way that we're thinking about it is um, one cryptographic primitive that helps a lot here is basic, basically symmetric crypto because it's both extremely cheap and extremely secure, provided that the initial shared secret exchange is secure. And so that allows us to essentially have it be efficient enough to do micropayments because it's not very expensive to calculate a hash or calculate AES encryption, but it's still secure enough to, if you wanna do a $10 million payment, to then use a much more uh, secure and safe key exchange mechanism on the application layer protocol and still hook into these lower level primitives that use symmetric crypto and they will still be secure and it will still be adequate to that um, level of, uh, of trust. But what, what's, what's the security level on, on the current protocol? Uh, so Interledger itself, uh, the only Cryptographic thing it relies on is um, uh, SHA-256, um, which is believed to to be secure even in the context of quantum computers. But I didn't get that secure in in the context of what? Of quantum computing. No, it's not. Absolutely not. Okay, I'll I'll show you the paper. But I mean, I'm not a cryptographer, so I'm the wrong person to talk to. But um, the literature seems to suggest that it is. Well, okay. For for practical purposes, I should say. Yeah, but we, so. Yeah, okay. If if, if you can send me that paper, then I'll go through that, and then I can make a couple of uh, suggestions to you, and, and we can actually. We can prove it in our, um, our current uh, crypto uh, or, or, uh, quantum computing uh, thing that we're doing with IBM right now that it, it, it is not safe. It is not secure. Any, anyway, leave, leave that alone. That, that's, I'm, I'm not trying to hijack the uh, conversation here on, on, on that point. But just, just be careful with, with saying it's, it's Nothing is absolutely secure. <laughs> Crying out loud, we have uh, coronavirus right now. We, we thought we were okay in, in four months ago, and now we're not. So 
and everybody's locking down. So it, it, not, not everything is the same as, as what we want it to be. Yeah, well, I was one of the people who was stocking up stuff uh, always. Um, so I definitely, I believe in sort of a belt and suspenders approach. So it definitely will send you the paper. Um, I think that if we had to replace that algorithm, that would be um, painful, but we could do it. Um, but yeah. I'm, I'm just saying, okay, we have one algorithm now. That That's fine. I mean, it, it's... Let, let, let me uh, feel that a different way. It, it's as safe as it, as it gets right now. But as we go along, we're going we're gonna to see different, I mean, things progress. Look at, look at the uh, computer chip, you know, from 50 years or 40 years ago when I used to work for IBM back then. Things have really come a, a, along. Look at Apollo, right? The, I could run Apollo with my uh, mobile phone right now. So we're, but we need to think three or four steps ahead and, and quantum computing is coming. It's here in, in, in certain ways. It's not that, and, and a lot of people are misinterpreting quantum computing as being the all, all break everything, blah, blah, blah. No, it's not. But there are certain things that we can do with, with number crunching and stuff like that, like password protection, uh, which is obviously why uh, America has uh, changed their policies that you can't use uh, pin codes anymore from, I think it was last year. So we, we just need to be aware of, of, there are things that are gonna come into to play as, as we go along with, with technology advances that, that we have to uh, kind of build into the, the whole protocol. That was my Yeah, I, I, I would say that's true. I would also say though that it's very hard to predict technological advances. And so when you're designing a system and you are making predictions about where technology is going to go, you can often end up being totally wrong. And some of the things that you've built in to anticipate future technological changes can out to be bugs rather than features. So I think there is a other side to that as well. Yeah, I, I would add that, you know, we've, we have debated this, like we had a much more sophisticated condition and fulfillment structure, which would have allowed us to substitute in new algorithms in the future. Um, and we made a pragmatic decision to remove it just for, um, because we felt it was going to be really difficult to build out an ecosystem and a network where nodes potentially weren't interoperable in how they did that. And, and we, there was a risk that we would end up, you know, segmenting the, the intelligent network because some nodes would support certain crypto and others would, would only support other. And so we, we settled on, you know, SHA-256 as the best choice for now. But, you know, as Stefan points out, it's possible, but extremely painful to swap that out for something in the future, but there's no reason why we couldn't um, in the future if, if the need arose. Is there a list over the cryptos that are actually uh, supported right now in, in, the, in the protocol? So at the Interledger layer, it's just SHA-256. Um, in stream, we use AES uh, GCM. Um, and I think that's it. Stefan? Okay. 
Yes, I believe that's it. I mean, we've been maybe to an extreme degree, we've been bending over backwards to avoid adding any dependency on asymmetric cryptography in any of the protocols that we design. Um, partly because it's very hard to get right and partly because it requires much more agility because there's much higher turnover rate in asymmetric crypto than there is in symmetric crypto. Um, so that's one of the ways in which we've tried to be conservative and anticipate changes, but um, there may be use cases, like for instance, we were just talking about this kind of case where the verifier is different and they're a third party, um, the, the receipt verifier, you know, well, the way that you could solve that is with asymmetric cryptography. So if you just pass in a public key, then they're no longer in the flow. And so they can't mess with it. They can't see anything, um, but you're relying on the security of, of asymmetric crypto, which may be fine, but then you have to define which suites to allow and um, you probably will have to update it from time to time. You'll probably have bugs in it. Um, yeah. So it's trade-offs. But it, that, that's exactly what we're doing in uh, distributed ledger technology on, on, the, on the DAC, right? So we, we don't, I don't, so the, the trust element, that, that was my point before, my, the trust element is not necessarily um, it's a so look at what happened with iota so they're all centralized and they they broke down and and god knows what's happening and i'm not part of iota anymore by the way but we actually we solved that problem at the obite where we have uh, witnesses that have no transactional that they they just register stuff onto the DAC without without knowing what what is what? And then if, if there's a double spend that comes up on, on, a, on a time scale, now we're getting in a little bit in, in, into crypto here, it, it comes up on a, on a time scale and whatever transaction was registered first wins. That's a very, very efficient way of, of, of handling these kind of things. I'm just, I'm, I'm just questioning the, the verifiers that, that you're, I'm, I'm who are they? Who elects them? How do we know who they are? And, and, and are they good people or dark hats or black hats or whatever? How would we know? I, I so, think, again, I want to just point out here the use case is not a, a, a distributed system where we're trying to prevent double spends. The, the, the purpose of the receipts in stream is for a third party who doesn't, who has a non-custodial account to be able to verify that they were paid um, or at least provide somebody else that proof. So, so, you know, the analogy in like, let's say a banking system is, I agree with my bank that whenever money comes into my account, they send me a text message or an email and somehow I have a way of verifying that that really is for my bank. And so I give someone else my bank account details, they send me money, and then I get an email or a text message from the bank to say I received the money. That's, that's what we're trying to get to here, but in a way that's um, you know, cryptographically verifiable. So the, the trust has to be established between the, the person who wants to verify the receipts and the person who's issuing them, which is the receiving account. And as Stefan pointed out, you know, we, we, in the lower layers, interledger and stream layers, 
we establish basic primitives using symmetric crypto, but when you actually share those keys that are necessary to, to mint the receipts and verify them later, you can use whatever channel that you consider secure enough for the use case. So I think this is slightly different to, um, this is slightly different to a kind of double spend protection or some sort of distributed verification or something like that. All right. Yeah, but we, we, we just need to keep our, our eye on, on we, we have a lot of crooks looking at everything right now, um, trying to abuse systems and stuff like that. And, and I, I just, I'm just wondering if, if let, let's say I was a dark hat and I, I put up a, a verification node in the system, would I be able to interfere in, in any of the transactions that that's what I'm, I'm saying it, it, it has to be it has to be separated completely gotcha yeah so so let me just be very clear like there's no like there's no common shared system the verification nodes are like if I make an application I'm a verifier for my own application I'm not a verifier for anyone else and no one else would interact with my verifier my verifier wouldn't interact with anyone else so for example, if I'm, let's say I have a, a website that has a video sharing app on it, like Cinnamon, then Cinnamon would verify the receipts to make sure it got paid before it would share videos or it would send you the video data. And so Cinnamon would trust its own verifier because it's running its own verifier, or at least it's chosen its own verifier. Um, but no one else would ever have any connection with that verifier unless you're using their app, unless you're on their website, you're asking for their videos. So it's not a distributed system. It's a, well, it is a distributed system, but it's not a connected, interconnected distributed system. It's a distributed system where every single party is separate. They're not talking to each other. So it's centralized for every, every uh, provider, basically. Yes, exactly. Okay. Um, uh, just to, to kind of um, summarize where, where I ended up, I actually do feel like this example you gave, um, Brandon, with, with Cinnamon, where you have potentially somebody getting paid and then someone else being the receipt verifier. I, I don't know. For me, at least, I need to think about that some more. I, I don't feel 100% comfortable with that yet. I'm thinking it's more like the, the sender is interacting with a website and I, it might be better to say that in almost every case the website is going to be a verifier the sender is choosing to go to that website it just might be the case that the payments might the recipient may not be the website it may be someone else but the website that you've navigated to is the verifier and it, it's kind of on you to be deciding which websites you're going to be doing micropayment business with. True. Then you leave uh, man in the middle wide open there. Um, one question I would have though is like, so let's say, let's take that same cinnamon case again. Um, if you, 
are paying Cinnamon, and Cinnamon wants to make sure it got paid for the purposes of um, providing the video data. But couldn't you very easily have a use case where multiple people need to verify um, that, that's, that the money was being paid? Like, for example, the, the creator of the video might also want to know that they've been paid. I don't know. I mean, maybe this is getting a little bit into, you know, use case, you know, scope creep, but um, I don't know. Yeah, that, that's definitely worth looking at. That, that, correct me if I'm wrong, that, that wouldn't work today unless basically all the verifiers use the same key, right? And they would all need to be aware of the shared, uh, the shared secret. Exactly, and then they could for, like that would break down. Like right now we're assuming there's only one receipt verifier for one stream connection. Um, but you, couldn't you build like, a, like an application level thing on top of that, on top of like the underlying stream receipts? where somebody could publish a receipt that's signed by their own private token and you have a trust in that person doing that correctly or service, um, then it would be up to the application level to decide how it gets that receipt and verifies it. I think but it would be great. That, res that restricts very much like the kinds of security models you can implement. Like if you are forcing all applications to rely on a central verifier, like then you always have to find a trusted central verifier. You could very much say like, well, actually it's better to use asymmetric crypto and then you don't have to trust the central verifier, but you, you do have to trust the asymmetric crypto. So it's, it's kind of an implementation complexity, you know, protocol security uh, level versus, you know, how much you have to trust in different parties. Yeah, I see what you mean. Like my, my thinking there was like, keep it simple for now and then like this central verifier could do the asymmetric crypto for you and they could step it up. But I see what you mean that Basically, and, and this, this goes back to Pear's point, like how far into the future can we look? You know, like it, it would, I think it's worth spending extra time whenever you're, you're setting out a protocol because, you know, every day you spend now thinking about it, you might save yourself a lot of grief in the future. Um, but that's, at the same time, at some point you have to move forward. I, I think if everybody is okay with micropayments and stuff like that, I mean, uh, I'm I'm not I'm not really concerned about somebody stealing ten cents from me on a on a on a downloading a, a video from whatever, right? But where where we have to be very very clear to the community is. What do we do when we get up into transactions that are actually potentially, uh, what do you call it, bigger than, than if, if I'm sending you, if, if, like the biggest purchase you're ever gonna make in your life is your house, right? So if I'm transferring, uh, I'm buying a house in Thailand, I'm transferring uh, $2 million, I want to make sure that that $2 million actually gets down there. But I, I think we should park that discussion. Micropayments, I'm, I'm totally okay with that. But we need, we need to get some more security into the, uh, some, some multimodal security into the, the higher uh, uh, transaction uh, amounts. Agreed. Fine. Yeah. I, I, I think you, if we think about how 
if we look at how we think about Interledger today and the fact that every packet is a very small amount and we anticipate that not to change, you know, for, for the, an individual packet to be small. And if you were going to make a large payment, it would be an accumulation of packets. And, and then I think we start to move up the, the protocol stack into how do, um, how do the participants at the application layer um, prove that they've received, uh, you know, lots and lots of small packets which they can provide receipts for, but that the sum of all of those equals some number. And I think we're getting into kind of where we're looking at things with open payments and invoices and, and so on. And that made me think like symmetric crypto seems like the right thing to do at a per packet level because asymmetric would just be way too inefficient. Um, or expensive at least. Whereas what we could think about is what happens if I give you an invoice for a million dollars and then you pay it by stream um, and I wanna be able to prove that I received like that's that number. Today, we trust the entity that is the receiver on the stream connection to do that aggregation, do that maths and tell us. Um, I don't know if we'd ever be able to build into the protocol a way to prove that cryptographically. Like that would be interesting to explore. But, you know, at the end of the day, we, we're, there's an entity like a, a wallet or a receiving wallet or whatever we want to call it that is producing these receipts per packet. And we're trusting that thing on a per packet level. We would probably have to just provide that same entity a mechanism to say, the sum of all the packets I received for this specific case equals, you know, whatever X million dollars. And here's some more rigorous, uh, slightly different, um, you know, receipt protocol that I have to prove that. But I think it's, a, it's operating in a different layer in the stack. The, the, the other way to solve this is by uh, p potentially rearranging the parties and this has been kind of discussed and has its own trade-offs, but if the ver verifier has delegated access to the payer's wallet and the stream sender is operated by the verifier itself um, or by their, say, a trusted um, host, uh, a, a trusted, maybe a, a trusted hosting provider, um, they have, uh, they can verify the total amount that the recipient has received from their uh, stream sender. Is another way I think of of solving the same problem again yeah. with the, with the zone. What 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 what's the uh, finality of, of of that scenario? In, in a so there, there, there's no the finality is just the latency of the of the network because it's it's just uh, across the payment path. There's no global state of of this network. Yeah. It Okay, that that that's my point. Again, I, I want I want to leave that alone for the for the bigger payments. I, I, again, I'm I'm saying the on the micro payments, if I get uh, if I get 
cheated for 10 cents, I'm, I'm okay with that. I can live with that. But if yeah. somebody uh, hijacks my $1 million or $2 million payment for my condo in, in Phuket, then I'm going to be pissed off. <laughs> Understandably. We just need we just need to uh, nivellate the uh, as as we go along. It, it it needs, and I'm not saying that that necessarily we can do everything for everybody. That that's over time that's been proved that very few people can do that. So we just need to be mindful of of what it is that we think we're going to be good at. I think micropayments that that's that's beautiful. And that's a good place to leave because we're running out of time. I, I, like the, I like the what we're doing is beautiful ending note. Um, we, we've got a couple of minutes. Uh, we didn't have an agenda, but we managed to have a lot of good discussion. Um, Kincaid, Stefan, Pear, any last thoughts? If you can squeeze them into 30 seconds or a minute. Uh, all I can say to Stefan is um, we have some homework. <laughs> That's my takeaway. Thanks. Okay. Uh, just one, maybe this, this will, uh, we'll have to wait till next week uh, or two weeks. Um, one thing Matt and I were talking about was the travel rule in the US, uh, which requires that each, you know, party um, of a transaction of greater than $3,000 um, has to forward along KYC information. Um, and it sounded like uh, Stefan had uh, looked into that a little bit. And I was just curious, like, what's um, kind of uh, legal's perspective on that? Is there any way, like, Interledger is able to circumvent the travel rule by packetizing payments? And, like, what's the thinking on, like, how um, application layer protocols interact with that? Might be too loaded for the yeah, remaining. Well, I can actually, Stephane, I actually. I actually can't answer that in 10 seconds, which is uh, there's no way I'm going to ever discuss it on a public call. I think if people want to hear my layman's opinion on, you know, how to interpret financial regulations, I'm happy to tell you one-on-one, -on -one. Um, but I'm not going to go on the record saying like, here's my official opinion on how these laws are going to be interpre interpreted. I think this is more something that any financial institution or company that wants to use Interledger, they have to have their own, compliance department making these assessments for their local jurisdiction is not something that we can answer in general. It would be nice to get some more people from the legal community involved in Interledger um, and basically, you know, publishing opinions about these things or publishing thought pieces, um, but that's not for me to do. I, I second that. Okay. Thanks guys. We're at the top of the hour. Um, I really appreciate the, the ad, impromptu discussion and, and some of the, the thoughts pair that you've left us with to, to consider. Um, good news is our next call is on April Fool's Day. So um, expect some intelligent conversation and further intelligent discussion on that call. So 1st of April, we'll chat again uh, two weeks time. Thanks everyone and look out for the recording. Um, Sabine, as soon as I have it, I will send it your way. Ciao. Ciao. Thank you. Bye.